Episode 2 of Season 1 gives us the long-awaited intro sequence. Few shows out there have an opening crawl that is itself worth an entire episode or more of analysis, but that's exactly what we have planned, so stay tuned to History of Westeros for a full breakdown soon. The short version is that the blood represents the Targaryen dynasty to date, with each individual line of blood representing a branch of the House of the Dragon. It starts with Aegon the Conqueror and continues to Rhaenyra, with a side diversion through House Hightower, thanks to the new marriage development in this episode. This reminds us that the intro will likely be changed in small amounts from time to time, just like it did with Game of Thrones. So we'll keep a close eye on that. All these bloodlines are flowing through Valyria, which King Viserys is attempting to reconstruct from old drawings and text presented to his stonemasons. For the second time, he mentions that his former dragon, Balerion the Black Dread, was the last living creature to see Valyria before the doom. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The model has grown larger, one of several indicators that time has passed. It's been about half a year since the death of Queen Emma and Prince Balon and the naming of Rhaenyra as heir. Despite nearly six months, some things have not changed at all. Viserys again shows himself to be a king that responds often slowly to problems rather than stopping them before they begin. This is causing some friction around the realm and possibly outside it as well. Those like Lord Corlys, Prince Daemon, and now Princess Rhaenyra are people of action, while the king, his hand, and others tend to prefer a cautious long game. But it cannot be said that Otto Hightower moved slowly on everything. He was the first to begin maneuvering his daughter to be the new queen by capitalizing on her kind nature and the tragic circumstances she and the king have in common. As well, the king's health is declining, adding urgency to the situation. In both episodes, we've seen fairly gruesome infections of his getting treated. Last week's was quite symbolic in that the wound came from the throne itself and was left untreated, not like the problems of the realm. This week's wound is just a deep meaning, at least so we think. The infection in his finger shows that he is losing his grip on the realm, especially his own family. This culminates when he drops the stone dragon. Just as he can't keep hold of the figurine, he can't keep hold of his family, and this loss of control has caused the House of the Dragon, like the Stone One, to fall and fracture. But this ominous foreshadowing is appended by Allison's genuine care for a man in grief. Though her father sees their connection as a path to power, she's just compassionate. Her attention to his beloved hobby is as moving as it is symbolic. Through this act, she presents herself as the solution, one who can both repair the House of the Dragon by mending the king personally and eventually, presumably, by being the mother of more dragons. That he needs to have more children is a constant refrain of the episode. It wasn't that long ago that there were lots of Targaryens, but the number has slipped to a dangerously low total. Even Rhaenyra, after being told by Rhaenys that they'd never actually allow her to be queen, agrees that there must be more Targaryens. 
Rhaenys points out that one of these new Targaryens will probably be a boy and thus surpass her. Rhaenyra argues that men swore to follow her, and Viserys does reiterate that he has no intention of replacing her. But Rhaenys says that even the king can outgo against the order of things, and the order of things says that men would rather put the realm to the torch than see a woman ascend the Iron Throne. This arguably realistic cynicism is why Rhaenys had, along with her husband, pushed for the marriage of her young daughter to the king. Prior to his choice of the Hand's daughter, it seemed everyone wanted him to marry Lena Valarian, daughter of the queen who never was, and the master of ships. Everyone he asked pointed out the merits that the match would bring. And it did make a lot of sense politically. Through Rhaenys, they represent the branch that was next in line at the Great Council. Through Corlys, they're the richest family in the realm with the largest navy by far. They have ancient ties to Valyria dating back centuries together. No one could deny it would be a powerful, prestigious arrangement. Despite the greatness of everyone involved, a theme of powerlessness permeates the episode. Young Lena, a mere 12 years of age, is a good example. Ironically, this very small girl, by way of conversation, brings up two of the largest dragons ever known to Westeros, Balerion and Vagar, while shouldering her family's ambitions all the while. Princess Rhaenys hates putting her daughter through this, but sees it as necessary. She chooses duty over love, we could say. Another reminder that things might be quite different if the Great Council had chosen her over Viserys. Meanwhile, Alicent seems to know what her father is doing by having set her up with the king. The way she looks at him is nothing short of venomous, in contrast to her genuine bond with Viserys. Her situation is quite complex. It's both duty and love because it's her duty to love. But in doing so, she's betraying her best friend, and that's not a very loving thing to do, but what choice does she have? The king felt he had no choice but to remarry, and given the state of the realm, his health, and perhaps with the prophecy in mind, it seemed he had to do it soon. But Viserys didn't want to marry someone so young whom he had no personal connection to. This leaves us with an open question. Much is made of Lena Valerian's fitness to be a queen now that she's been passed over, whom might she marry instead? Not someone of her choosing, it would seem. Others who aren't 12 or 15-year-old girls, for example, react to their relative powerlessness with direct action. Rhaenyra, though she is one of those 15-year-old girls, named heir is still relegated to pouring red wine. When she speaks up, she's sent away to choose a Kingsguard knight instead, as a position has been opened thanks to the death of Sir Ryan Redwine. In this, she's able to exercise a small measure of power after all, by overriding Sir Otto's political-minded selection process in favor of someone with actual combat experience. And a handsome face. Damon, who's been squatting on Dragonstone since he left King's Landing, weaves several provocations into a single story set down into a letter, none of which turns out to be true. He claims that he's going to marry Lady Mazaria despite already having a wife. He refers to her as her grace, claims she's pregnant, and that their child will be given a dragon's egg befitting a member of the family. Finally, the egg in question, which he stole from the dragon keepers, was the same one to be given to Prince Balon, the heir for a day. This attempt to get his brother to come to him fails, and he's called out thrice for it in short order. First by Otto, who goes overboard in his insults. He's a bit overbearing, uh, maybe more than a bit. Even Sir Harold seems to be chagrined by it, though not Sir Criston, who reminds Damon who beat him in the tourney twice. Otto backs down thanks to Caraxes, but then Cyrax appears in a beautiful and majestic moment with deep fog, the dragons calling to each other, and Dragonstone itself as the backdrop. Pretty epic. Shortly after this hypnotizing moment passes, the conflict is resolved. Damon backs down thanks to Rhaenyra calling him out. She very effectively tells the prince why he's gone too far, that he's insulting her honor and new station, as well as the king's. Basically, she calls his bluff, which is further blown up by Lady Mazaria, who calls him out a third time once they're alone. There was no pregnancy, no planned marriage, thus there's no kid to even give this egg to. She points out that her low birth and station means her association with his crimes could easily result in her death. He can get away with a lot. 
she can get away with very little. Otto threatened to exile her, for example, and she would have been powerless to stop that. Otto seems to be getting everything he wants. Damon lost his bid. Lord Corlys is losing power and wealth thanks to the problems with the Triarchy, and he's just outmaneuvered him in the matter of the new queen. But as we've seen before in the Game of Thrones, alliances often form when the interests of the powerful align, even when the thing they have in common is losing. Teaming up to get back in the game is a tried and true play. In this case, Prince Damon and Lord Corlys have each suffered multiple setbacks and embarrassments. Damon has lost Dragonstone, failed to get his brother's attention, suffered a variety of rebukes, and lost his status as heir. Lord Corlys is furious over the rejection of his daughter and disgusted at months of inaction over the issue in the Stepstones. Lord Corlys points out that by going to war there, Damon can make a real name for himself. Like the Knights Rhaenyra passed over for Kingsguard because of their lack of true combat experience, at this point, Damon isn't much different. He's a Targaryen with a dragon, sure, and he's done well in tournaments, but chopping the limbs off some criminals is the only other thing on his resume, really. He's just as green as most of the rest of them when you truly get down to it. But not Lord Corlys, the sea snake, a man who knows a thing or two or nine about building a name, about being a living legend. If Damon wants his threats and bluffs to be taken seriously in the future, he's going to have to show the world what he's capable of. A tantrum isn't going to help him climb back up the ladder of power, but bringing fire and blood to Prince Admiral Kragas Crabfeeder, who seems to have a nasty case of grayscale, would give the rogue prince the kind of reputation he's currently lacking. That's our short synopsis. Join History of Westeros on YouTube during the season every Monday at 6 Eastern for a detailed long-form review of each episode with no spoilers, and every 3 p.m. on Saturday as we look ahead to the next episode with spoilers while mixing in discussions from the books with guests. If you can't make the live streams, you can watch or listen to the replays anytime afterwards. They'll also be available wherever you consume podcasts. Alongside our House of the Dragon coverage, you'll find that over the last 10 years, we've created hundreds of other episodes about A Song of Ice and Fire, Fire and Blood, Duncan Egg, and everything else, Westeros, Essos, and and beyond, past, present, and future.